The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people. Then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. all right guys welcome back to serial spirits it's me your host brendan shea and with me is my partner in crime Annie Weaves, how are you, Brendan Shea? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long year, and we're glad to be back behind the mics, bringing you guys some new entertainment, some new stories, uh, and maybe some new stuff that you wouldn't expect from Serial Spirits. 100%. And it's kind of weird we left you with a series about aliens and technology, and we went, we went quiet for a long time. We did. I guess we kind of ghosted in a way. That series was uh, difficult to put the pieces all together with. I guess there were a lot of moving parts, a lot of people that we talked to. We hope that everybody enjoyed it. We got a lot of feedback from it. And, uh, you know, we may do some more of that in, in the near future. So if you guys like those stories, if you want to hear more stories like that, let us know. Things about cryptids, UFOs. Uh, EBEs. Let us know if you like those types of stories. Or if you're into weird number stuff and having weird stuff manifest itself while you're looking into weird things. Me and Annie lived, I don't know, we're still kind of living it a little bit. We lived that story. We talked about a lot of strange things that happened, a lot of quote-unquote coincidences in some of those stories, and we did live some of it when the last episode that we did in I Am Cold we kind of talked about it, and it's continued. So, yeah, that's uh, that's been part of the year that we have had. Yeah, we, you know, we the last time we talked, I think Rory was a wee baby. Now she's two. I turned 40. Annie's still 25. I'm not going to say how old I am, but that's kind of you to point she's out. She's still 25, and it's just been, it's been a hard year for a lot of people, but we're glad to be back, and we're going to bring you a story about one of my most favorite places that I ever was part of building the history of and finding the hauntings of. We're going back to our roots, basically. I think something that we've seen a lot of in the past year You know, I've talked a lot in the past about why we don't do residential haunting cases anymore, but it's something that has come back to us in a lot of ways in the past year, people reaching out to us asking for help. And I think the energy and the trauma that have been the past two years have brought that out in people. People need that closure 
people need some type of resolve for the things that have happened. And so a lot of it has come out in this paranormal activity that people are experiencing. And so it felt right to take it back to one of these stories that you, you know, a place that you love, a person that you lost this year, and really to kind of honor some of the people that we've lost and talk about some of the good times that we had with them. And a lot of that goes hand in hand with these places that we've investigated over the years. You know, you don't want to put a negative spin on a lot of it, but there's a lot of, I just want to say garbage that's out there now, you know, and and going back to the roots when things were fun, when things were real, when you looked forward every weekend to go and to be with the people that you investigated with and explore these places. I mean, that's when it was fun for me and it was fun for you. And if it wasn't for the paranormal, I mean, we wouldn't have met some of the people that we know and we, we care about to this day. Me and you wouldn't be sitting here talking to it's each true. other. It's true. It shaped our lives in a lot of ways. And so as much as we've struggled with the past year and getting back behind the mic and telling some of these stories, I think it's therapeutic for us as well. And like I said, to move forward and even talk about some of the people that we've lost in the coming episodes and the paranormal activity surrounding and everything that's just gone on. And so I think it's a good place to start, Shay. And I do too. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, like I said, a place that's near and dear to my heart where I got my start in the paranormal field. So let's dive into it right now. For those of you that can't see Brendan Shay as he just picked up his notes to read them, he's also added a new piece of equipment to uh, our uh, podcasting stuff. It's his old person <laughs> reader glasses. <laughs> what is it? I'm a plus one. A plus He's a plus one. one. Zero. Ladies and gents, his eyeballs have never looked as big as they do right now. <laughs> I told you I turned 40 over the break. Let's dive into this right now. WHIZ Weekend News. Your closer to home coverage starts now. For years, people have reported seeing ghosts or hearing strange voices at the Twin City Opera House in McConnellsville. Good evening and thank you for joining us this Sunday night. Today, WHIZ's Katie Jeffries went on a ghost hunt with the Central Ohio Ghost Squad to see what really lies within the walls of the Opera House. People say they have experienced something otherworldly within the Twin City Opera House in McConnellsville. Built in 1890, the Opera House has seen thousands of visitors and actors but ghost hunters believe some never left. It's pretty haunted, let me tell you. Uh, it's one of the most active and consistently active places I know paranormally. Myers and his partner Eric Glosser have researched and recorded paranormal activity within these walls and say that the Opera House is one of the most haunted buildings in all of Ohio. I've had a lot of activity, even last night with uh, the guy we call Red Wine Robert. He seems to have uh, quite a sense of humor and uh, he was uh, fluctuating the temperature just back and forth. While on the catwalk, we briefly made contact with Red Wine Robert. Robert? Robert. And you can usually tell because you'll get a chill. Well, look. Look at my arms right now. And I don't have a chill. Yeah. He, for some reason, like when I'm around, yeah, look at that. It's just my hair straight up and goosebumps everywhere. Ghost hunters use video cameras, voice recorders, and electromagnetic field monitors to record paranormal activity. Myers and Glosser both say they have seen apparitions and black shadowy figures, and even heard a child giggling in the opera house. 
There are five known ghosts that reside here in the Opera House, all of which are very friendly toward people. But something far more sinister lies within the basement. A lot of people have had shadow activity. Things will move behind you until you're so uncomfortable that you want to move. Growling has actually been heard behind people. Uh, people have been thunked on the head very occasionally. A black shadowy mass was caught moving in the basement by two separate cameras. Executive Director of the Opera House, Adam Shriver, says even his staff will not come down to the basement alone. And many have reported experiencing paranormal activity. Many of the staff members also claim to have seen strange things moving around and shadows and things like that, yeah. The Central Ohio Ghost Squad is holding a ghost hunt this Friday beginning at 10 p.m. To sign up, go to TwinCityOperaHouse.com. Myers and Glossers say just one night at the Opera House will make a believer out of you. For WHIZ News, I'm Katie Jeffries. One of the most mysterious places I've ever investigated to this day sits on the square in a small river town just north of Marietta, Ohio, called McConnellsville. The town itself has a rich history, being a stop on the Ohio River by the boats in the 1800 to early 1900s. People of all walks of life would visit this town. One of its most beautiful buildings to see was the Twin City Opera House. This building holds such a rich and unique history, even before its construction. By the 1880s, the town government of Morgan County looked to build a central area to house its city government. The town government was in a huge battle on building this new town hall. A battle between Democrat and Republican parties ensued. Then after a year of battle, the plans moved forward to construct this new building in an area of town called the Burn District. For years, rumors persisted of a building that sat where the Opera House sits now, called the Brewster Hotel, and it was destroyed by a fire, but no proof of this has ever been found. Later, after further research, it was found that a drugstore and doctor's office did exist on this corner of town. And on the 5th of May, 1879, the buildings burned together. This would become the source of the rumor mill. In 1889, construction began on the Opera House, and its formal opening happened on May 28, 1892. The opening act was a program by the Aryan Opera Company and performance of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado. All 1,800 seats in the theater were sold. Being the first building in the town using electricity, people were most excited to take part in this grand affair. Just as the opera was about to begin, the theater plunged into darkness as the generator plant failed. In a panic, locals began bringing lamps and candles, and the show was able to go on after enough light was brought to the theater. After this event, gas lighting was later added, by the early 1900s, the Opera House would begin to show silent movies, and by the 1930s, talkies began to also be shown. Today, the Opera House is still functioning and shows movies as well as live performances of plays and musical acts. One mystery remains, though. Why is this place so haunted? So Annie, I know you visited this place and I think you were there one time, right, with Keith Age? I did have the opportunity to go there once with 
Keith Age and a group of people. And it was a very interesting night. I remember that Keith was using some piece of equipment and he used me as what he called ghost bait. So basically, he sat me out there with that piece of equipment waiting to see if we got any responses. Um, It's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful area. And I can see why so many people are drawn to it. It's gorgeous. So I spent uh, the latter part of two and a half years there every weekend. And I belonged to a group at the time called the Central Ohio Ghost Squad. And we, they had investigated there a few times before I joined the group in 2008. And they were impressed and had so much activity their first night there. They were actually one of the first groups to officially investigate the Opera House. And I don't remember how they got in there. I think the founder at the time, Ed Conkler, his daughter found out about it. And somehow after calling and calling and calling, they were finally able to to be able to investigate it. And we kind of became the resident group there. And we started ghost tours and historical tours, that kind of stuff, before it was really a popular thing to do. But this town, like you said, is really neat. It's on the river. And you kind of come into the square. And it's like this big round square. And there's a big statue, a Civil War statue, in the middle of the town. And right behind that sits this beautiful spire of a building. And, I mean, it's... It brings you back in time when you walk in. It's like walking into a time capsule. And if you look in that area specifically, Marietta, Ohio is a huge hotspot for paranormal activity right there on the river. I've investigated a couple of places up there. The Blenner Hassett Mansion is up towards that way. So I don't know what it is about that area specifically, but a ton of haunted locations. So if you guys ever get the opportunity to head up towards Marietta, Ohio, and just kind of follow the river up through there, you can literally take your own ghost walk up through there. Uh, and besides the besides the Twin City Opera House, I've had the opportunity to investigate probably two or three residences in that area with some incredible activity, a lot of it having to do with Native Americans uh, that used to live in that area. So I had the privilege of investigating this place. Uh, it was the first place I investigated with a team. And I went there, and there was probably 10 or 15 of us, and this building really is not big enough to to house that many people without making some kind of noise contamination. But it was fun. I mean, we heard some kind of disembodied voices the first night I was there, you know, footsteps. And as time went on, I became one of the main tour guides there. Me and Ed Conkler would spend every weekend, you know, if a team rented the building out, they would investigate it and we'd be sitting there in the in the the uh, front office area just chilling out. You know, we had to be there for liability purposes. But you walk into this theater and it's got this gigantic dome and this gigantic chandelier in the middle of it and it's just it's incredible it feels like you are stepping back to the early 1800s and as you heard in the beginning with the history it had a really rocky start with like the democrats and republicans fighting over whether or not they were even going to build this building you know once it was built they were all happy they housed the government buildings are in the same building as the opera house so to this day they're still there the mayor's office is still there it's just, it's been preserved over the years. It's, I think it's Pepto-Bismol pink still. I haven't been there in a while, but that's the only problem I had with the building. But uh, you walk back on the stage, you still see the old lighting board where they used to pull the switches and turn all the lights on and off. And uh, it's a really incredible, incredible building. So one of the most interesting facts, Annie, about this building is that they had 
plays, operas, that kind of stuff there. And, you know, that was the source of entertainment back in the day. You were, you know, it was the to-do to go to the opera, to go to see a play. You know, and a lot of these people were traveling on the river, so they would stop specifically just to come to the opera house and see these operas, to see these plays. And there was a lot of big-name actors and actresses that came through McConnellsville. And one of the rumor mills, which actually is the truth that they found out, or we found out through research years ago, um, was that there was tunnels in between the hotels to the opera house where these actors and actresses would come through to stay away from the crowds and, you know, so they wouldn't be mobbed and, and they wanted to be able to just get to the green rooms, be able to get costumed up and do do the performance and then leave. So I think in the 1930s, they were, as technology began to advance with automobiles and all this stuff, they would tell the townspeople, listen, we're, we're going to dig trenches here because we're going to repave the roads, bring all your trash, all your scrap metal, everything, and throw them in these ditches because we want to, you know, be able to pave this over without the roads collapsing with all the weight of traffic and stuff. So eventually all the tunnels were sealed up. But that, we think, plays a huge role in some of the hauntings that happen in that building. So with that being said, let's kind of get into some of the hauntings that have happened here. I can tell you for years, I had never been to a more active location. I mean, every time I was there, you just got to the point where you would walk into this building and you were able to tell like, hey, something's going to happen. You know, you'd be given the tour in the beginning of the thing, be like, you guys stay in this area tonight because it's going to be pretty active here. And most of the time you were right. I mean, it just got to the point where these spirits almost knew who you were and that you were there and they were just like, oh, hey, Brendan's back or hey, Eric and Marty are back. You know, it's it just became that we were like a family with these spirits. One of the main spirits that we believe haunted this location was a spirit named Everett Miller. Now, Everett Miller was a real person. He was actually a uh, usher at the opera house, and he would stand at the back of the shows at the usher pole back there, and he would assist people to their seats with his flashlight, all that you know stuff that they used to do back in the day. He was a local, and he volunteered. He loved the opera house so much. There was a group of kids one time who were playing in the opera house. And this was long after Everett Miller had passed away. They were playing in the opera house and running around and they came back through the curtain and the man who was the mayor at the time, Galen Finley, who actually lived on the stage at one point, uh, trying to save the opera house. So the kids came back through the curtain to Galen Finley, who at the time was the mayor and he was the caretaker of the opera house. And they said, who do you got back there? trying to scare us. And Galen Finley's like, what do you mean? It's just us here. And they said there was a man who told us to stop running around and playing to come out and go back to the the ticket booth area. And so Galen went out there and looked and he didn't see anybody. But the way that these kids described this man was Everett Miller. And Everett Miller has been seen a few times after that standing at the usher pole. And the first investigation that was done there there was actually an EVP that said Everett. And it's so grainy and so old that I don't want to play it just because it sounds really bad, but it's 100% saying Everett. So one of the cool things we did is being like tour guides there is Everett Miller's family came one time and took a tour and they actually, you know, were very sincere about the fact that maybe their loved one was haunting this this building. So it was kind of a neat experience to deal with somebody who family still living in the area and they were able to just confirm all this stuff the way this guy looked they actually gave pictures of everett miller so 
just for clarity of who the haunting, you, you actually put a name to the face of the, of the haunting. So when you get into the opera house, you know, that the, the auditorium area, it's a pretty active place. You know, we've done a lot of investigating there. We filmed two documentaries on the building and there's been a lot of activity seen. We've seen balls of light. People have claimed to see people sitting in the audience, you know, when you're up on the stage looking out. One of the things, though, that really messes with you is if you're up on the stage and somebody's up in the balcony, like sitting there, you know, just hanging out and you whisper on the stage, you hear it in the back of the balcony. And that's one of the things you got to be careful of when you're investigating there because you get that contamination of somebody actually talking, you know, and you think it's an EVP when it's not. So that was one of the cool things about being an investigator and coming back to the same location over and over again was that you pick up on all these small things to look out for. So... Like I said, the auditorium, pretty active area. Uh, I've sat on the stage for a long time, done ghost box session and seen weird lights in the auditorium. One of the claims that they have was in the 1900s, they started showing uh, movies like silent movies there. And the screen at the time was small. It wasn't as big as a movie screen is now. And the curtains were not uh, mechanical curtains. They were a pulley system so you physically had to go back there and open the curtains well these curtains would open up just to the the uh, opening of the movie screen so they would open up to that length and people would sit there and watch the movies well one night in the middle of uh, a performance the curtains closed to the dimension of the movie screen and remember you got to go back there and physically move these and like so they were like confused like why is it doing that and it did it two or three times uh Lights would go on and off in the auditorium, like, you know, when the show's over or at, uh, like, in the intermission of the play, all the house lights would come on. It would happen on occasion. You physically have to go back there and hit switches to turn all the house lights on. Just weird stuff like that happened all the time. I had mentioned a man named Galen Finley, and he actually was mayor of McConnellsville. And he ran on the platform to save the opera house because they planned on just demolishing the building. And he won... And that was his thing, was to save the opera house. But he actually bought it and lived on the stage. He had, like, this big Arabian tent, like, set up. Like, we, I went to his house, and he showed us all these pictures of, of how he used to live on this thing. And that's where the rumor of this lady in white came from. He was sitting in his little tent area. Wait, wait, wait. So he put up a tent on the stage? It was almost like he was living in a circus tent on the stage because he bought it. That's where he lived. He Why? was living there. Because he was trying to save the opera house from being demolished. so There he, wasn't a different room that he could live in? I'm just confused by that whole part. Because it was the biggest part for him to be in. I mean, there was the the green rooms. There was the lower level, which we'll get to, but it was kind of nasty down there. So why did he have to pitch a tent to do it? Because the stage was closed off at the time. And it was the biggest area. It was the most private area. Nobody could get back there unless you had a key. It's just where he wanted to live. So he had this big tent set up. I mean... The pictures are pretty neat. He almost had like an apartment. So he was sitting there one night and he felt this chill. He was watching TV and he felt this chill. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden he sees this woman in this Victorian white dress walk right across the stage, all the way across. And he's sitting here looking at it. And he said that he got up, ran out of there, ran back to his parents' house down the street and would not sleep there for like two nights. He left the door unlocked, everything. He got so scared. So that was the first sighting of this woman that they say they see on the stage. Now, since then, since that's happening over the years, people have come up with a name for her. I don't know what her name is. That's one of the 
the hauntings that that happen at the opera house. And what do they call her? Victoria. Oh, okay. Which, of course, you know, it's, Victorian. Yeah, I, I mean, I. They said they've got that through EVPs, and but I've never. I mean, I can't claim a name because I've never heard anything like that. But they don't have any idea who she could be. No. Now you think about it. I mean, it's a emotional place. People come out on stage. They're acting. They're portraying their emotions. You know, it could just be a manifestation of something like that. But I don't know. There's a set of stairs on stage left and you actually it goes up to the catwalk and that's where she's seen to walk up that set of stairs pretty neat but then you get to the catwalk and to me that's the most active area in the place that's where i've had the most experiences there's supposedly this little girl up there named elizabeth we've got evps with a girl saying elizabeth um that's actually where we first ran into a spirit we called red wine robert okay say that five times fast red wine robert we got it through you know the the ghost meters that you have and they blink, those ones that had the red light on the top. For for years, we used those because they showed up best on camera. And this guy would almost talk through this ghost meter. It's crazy. And eventually, we started getting EVPs and uh, we got a name, Robert, and we got another EVP one time called, it said, I've got red wine, right? I've got red wine. Sign me up. Robert's my friend. So... That's why we started calling him Red Wine Robert. And I'm actually going to play that EVP for you right now. It says, I've got red wine. Okay, 65. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is very awesome. 65. Okay, 65. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is very awesome. 65. So there you heard I played it twice, and he's like, I've got red wine. Do you think it's Cabernet or Merlot? I have no idea. I don't I mean, care either one. The way that he, the way he would talk or communicate through this thing, it was almost like he was a drunkard. But we, you know, have no idea when we first made contact with the spirit. We'd been there for like a year, and we never had any kind of contact like that uh, with that spirit. Uh, we always thought there was just a little girl up there, and so it was kind of weird to finally have somebody else open up and talk to us. And so, like who I, could he be? Uh, from what? The questioning, the line of questioning was that he was a stagehand there, um, and he worked there, and I guess he loved the place so much that he didn't leave. I don't know. It's hard to say. Up there, you know, you get weird movements, like people walking. It's There was one point where almost like somebody was on a tour, and they looked up at the catwalk from the stage, and it was like a shadow person was looking over at them. So you see a lot of shadow play up there, too. Every place has an evil entity and there's supposedly an evil entity at the opera house. I've had a run in with something that wasn't nice, but I'm, you know, back in the day used to be a provoker, but I've never ran into anything malicious up in the catwalk. I just feel that it's the energy. Like you feel that presence, you feel that energy. And sometimes it's overwhelming that it just comes and goes. And when it hits you, it's like this wave and it just knocks you down. And it's, it's crazy. So below the stage, they used to have trap doors and stuff below the stage. And actually, you get down to where the green rooms are, where the actors and actresses would change. And it's almost like it's a cement area. It's got, like, poorly framed rooms, and that's where they would go to change and, and in between sets and move stuff around and put them on the lifts and bring them up. Well, there was actually a fire at one point, and you can still see the damage if you look up at the bottom of the stage. You can still see where the rafters and stuff are burned. So as you walk through this area, you eventually end up in, I, I venture to guess, would be the original 
foundation of the opera house and you move back to the back and you can almost see where there was a tunnel that came through there at one point. And we believe that this is where spirits come and go. That's why there's different spirits in the opera house. We at one point had set up a camera. There's only one entrance in too. And we had set up uh, one camera towards the door and one towards the back of the ba- of this basement area. Now, when you go down there and open this door, there's this big metal door. And like, as you open it up, it just goes. So if you're in there in the dark by yourself and somebody decides to come in, it scares the crap out of you. But we legitimately caught this full on black mass, right? On two different camera angles. One, it actually blacks out the camera. And the second camera pointing towards that camera. It looks like you see like this black mass in front of the camera. And then it like sticks out this weird projection and like, it's this whole, the whole camera turns black and then turns purple. You know, when you stand in front of like a uh, infrared camera, it turns white. It like whites out and then it corrects itself and comes back. This turns completely purple. It does the weirdest thing. And it's not like a glitch because we caught this mass on a second camera. Uh, this basement has produced a ton of EVPs. And one of my favorite ones, if I can set it up for you, weebs, one of my favorite ones was me and Marty had just got done with a tour. Marty Myers was was uh, one of the guys on on my team at the time. And we had just got done with a tour. So what me and him like to do is when we're there at the end of the night, we lock up the building, make sure everyone's gone, and we go and investigate a little bit. Because we're there, we might as well, you know what I mean? Especially if a team leaves early. So we go down there, and we're just, we got a, a, a voice recorder and a handy cam. And we're down there, and Marty asks a question. And we get this EVP. Now, when I heard this, I was sitting in my house at the time in the pitch black with headphones on, just listening to, you know, reviewing audio evidence. And this is what I caught. Brendan and Marty, I'm sure that you have some idea who we are. We're here a lot. Brendan and Marty, I'm sure that you have some idea who we are. We're here a lot. Now, being an investigator, you've had that experience before hearing your name called? Yeah, and it never gets any better, I don't think, because you realize that whatever is there is cognizant of your presence there, right? It's not just something, it's not a residual haunt that's just playing over and over. It's something that is actually aware of you, calling you out, saying, hey, I see you here, so let's have a conversation, basically, right? But you're on different planes of existence, so... You don't hear them say that at that time. And it's, I think that's one of the most um, fascinating things about EVPs like that is that you realize you're in the same room in, at the same timeline, our physical timeline, but something else is there with you in a different dimension on a different timeline, but you're both there physically. You know, you always, I always believe in the, the fact that everything's existing at the same time. But if you look at it at that point of view, too, you know, you could be existing in the past, the present, and the future. Everything that was existing at that time is still there, not knowing that it's there. But like you said, it's intelligent enough to understand that, hey, ah, there's a ghost in here and it's asking me to whatever. And it must be the names I've heard before. So it said Brendan. And now everybody knows me as Shay. You know, it's just the easiest way to remember my name because no one can get Brendan right. So be able to hear that pronunciation say Brendan 
was just unnerving to me that, you know, wow, this, and this is when it got real for me. Like I'd been doing this for a year at the time. And the first time I heard my name called by something that was not in the room, craziness. This basement has produced a lot of shadow play. Like I said, we caught that weird video thing. I remember giving a, a, a public hunt. I was one of the, you know, leads on the team given this public hunt and somebody was down there just full on like going Zach Bagans, you know what I mean? Like, oh, come out, you evil, whatever. And something rushed up on me and almost like hit me in the gut. Like it was a gut punch. I dropped to my knees. And our friends, Laura and Cheryl, who you know as well, like they were with me at the time and they physically had to take me out of the opera house. I got sick like to my stomach and that has never happened to me like that. Like it was just something down there isn't nice and it, it stays down there. Whatever it is, I don't know if it's evil or if it's just doesn't want people around, but it's a pretty active location for, you know, the opera house. We got another EVP down there, you know, where again, it's Marty and, uh, he's kind of making a joke about, you know, what kind of favorite snacks that these entity E, you know, you sit there all night and you just run out of questions. So you start, you know, having a personality with these spirits. They're, they're people without bodies. You know what I mean? So you ask them questions that you would just ask your friend. So this is one of those questions. You can only have one snack food, what would it be? Don't say apple. You can only have one snack food, what would it be? Don't say apple. So one of the classic lines that I've always that I always hear everywhere I've ever been, at least one EVP comes out, if you catch EVPs, uh, is get out, right? And I've heard that over and over again from so many spirits in this place. I mean, I can't even count how many times we've gotten get out, but this is a pretty clear one and I'm going to play it for you. And I'm just telling you what it says because, uh, it's, it's hard to make out, but you can tell by the, uh, phonetics in it that it's saying get out. I highly recommend visiting the Twin City Opera House. It should be something on your bucket list. They still give tours. Um, and I don't know about public hunts anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure that the United Paranormal Project is still in charge of the hunts there, but you'd have to get on and look at the TwinCityOperaHouse.com website to see who actually is running the tours there. But it is one of the most intriguing, beautiful mysterious haunted places I've ever been and it always will remain near and dear to my heart because of the people that I started out in the field with and I know Annie had said in the beginning that there's people that we lost uh this year one of the guys who brought me into the fold of the Twin City Opera House uh Eric Glosser he was a big part of a lot of the research that happened there a lot of the evidence a lot of putting the place on the map um him, Marty Myers, Ed Conkler, you know, they, they were three guys that I spent a lot of time with. And, uh, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't have had the passion for investigating and researching and looking into the history of a lot of these haunted locations. And, uh, sadly this year, Eric passed away and it was kind of a blow to the paranormal field because he really was, uh, a big part of, the Twin City Opera House, and the Brindu Mansion. 
uh, in Granville, Ohio. Uh, if it wasn't for him, some of the history would still be lost. He spent a lot of time researching old archives, thumbing through old almanacs and birth and death records. You know, he really did the the history of this place. And if it wasn't for him, a lot of it would be lost. So it was a big blow to me personally. And I want to dedicate this episode to Eric Glosser. Wherever you are, buddy, I hope you're happy. Well, Weebs, we're back. And that was the Twin City Opera House. Any final thoughts? No, I'd love to get back there at some point. Like I said, I only got to see the the building once and it was beautiful. And just, uh, you know, it's always different when you get to know these buildings, right? You're there a long time. You get to know the personality of the building, if that makes sense. You know, buildings retain energy just like people do. And so, yeah, I'd love to get back there with you and, and check it out again. So if anyone's ever looking for a, a paranormal buddy, sign us up, right? Without a doubt. And if you if you want to go back into the archives a little bit of the Twin City Opera, Opera House, look up uh, My Ghost Story on Bio Channel. Me and Eric made an appearance there a few years ago. So that was fun. That was another big thing that happened there. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening to Serial Spirits. We'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.